Good afternoon and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. My name is Tom Hollingsworth and I am your convivial host. And joining me is DJ Cat Scratch, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, welcome to the show. How are you today? Eh, going pretty good. You know, got some cat scratch fever here uh, on the turntables. Uh, nice, to, nice to be here. Nice to cover another big tech announcement today. Yes, you are right. Uh, we are in the week of NVIDIA GTC. Uh, there are a lot of great announcements, which we'll be talking about in a little bit of a closer look section here. But we definitely want to make sure that we get to some of the news of this week before we uh, get down to the fun stuff. Um, we're going to go ahead and kick it off with uh, a little bit of a story about some security news. Stephen, take it away. Right on, Tom. So this was a really interesting story, and it's it's lasted a little longer than the week, actually. Uh, so the PHP Git repository was hacked a couple of weeks ago, and people are asking questions about what's going on. Um, there was a, an, an innocuous commit message uh, pushed under the names uh, the name of the founder, uh, Rasmus Lerdorf, and it seemed to indicate a typographic error change. Uh, you know, let me fix this typo here. But further analysis uh, revealed that this was an attempt uh, to enable remote code execution uh, in PHP. And after the discovery uh, on the private Git repository, the PHP maintainers, uh, well, they kind of freaked out and they should have because this was obviously an attempt to hack not just PHP, but like the entire universe because everything runs on PHP. So they retired the server, uh, mirrored the repos to GitHub and are now uh, using GitHub as their primary source files. Uh, the word from the PHP maintainer is that the private server is going to be decommissioned and the project's going to just you know, switch to GitHub. Um, did PHP get uh, caught with their uh, eyes off the prize here, Tom? Well, I think that the, the story here is, of course, that when people started looking at, can you really just push a git commit message with somebody's name and, and git will take it as, as the, the gospel truth? The answer is yeah because that's kind of how Git works. It's better than subversion at doing things like that. Um, the bigger story here is though, why was PHP using a private Git repository under their own control and not using GitHub, which has you know little things like two-factor authentication. I think that this ultimately is a forcing function for Git and for PHP, because now Git can go back to companies and go, why are you still using private repos? Unless you have an actually good reason, like I don't know, a DOD air gap, you really need to be using our systems with our security protocols and our, I don't know, um, governance. Because if you're just running your own thing in your own server and somebody does something like this, <laughs> oops, I guess you guys got hacked. Except like you said, if oops, PHP got hacked with a backdoor with RCE capabilities, yeah, that's like, three quarters of the internet that's now vulnerable. So good on you, PHP, for doing what you probably should have done a couple of years ago. All right, Stephen, um, also in the news is uh, the US government. And they are announcing this week that there is now a list of Chinese supercomputer builders that have been placed on an export restriction list. Uh, the report released by the federal government says that they're worried that these firms are assembling advanced technology, supercomputers, for the use of the Chinese military. All right, the Washington Post comes out with a separate report that says that Synopsys, which is a company that's big into the security industry, um, has contracts with one of the named firms. So what this means is, is that that uh, firm will no longer be able to be sold 
equipment or services from U.S. companies without a very specific license from the U.S. government to get around this export list. Um, Stephen, I can remember back in the day when things like Windows 2000 wasn't allowed to be exported to foreign nations with certain kinds of encryption enabled. Are we getting back to that now because of some of the crazy cyber warfare stuff that we're seeing going on? Yeah, pretty much. I think uh, one of the interesting aspects of this story is, you know, in the U.S. government, uh, there's been, um, well, obviously, there's a lot of political stuff going on here in America. And um, frankly, a lot of that has been, um, you know, a lot of the policies of various uh, administrations, the, the, the previous one and this one, have been framed in purely political terms. But that being said, uh, we are seeing a rare moment of 100% agreement between the uh, former administration and the current administration here. Essentially, the uh, Chinese uh, supercomputer manu er, uh, centers, uh, supercomputer manufacturers, are uh, now being put on an export control list in order to keep them from developing uh, ever more powerful supercomputers and shifting the global balance of power. Um, this is a blunt instrument of diplomacy, and it doesn't have as much to do with the tech industry as you might think. I mean, effectively, this is all about uh, uh, superpowers colliding on the field of the cold international battle. Um, what's really going on here? Well, actually not a lot. Uh, yes, they have placed these uh, Chinese supercomputing centers on the export control list. Uh, that includes uh, Qianjin Fidium Information Technology, which is a, a Chinese company that develops IT uh, equipment, as well as the Shanghai High Performance Liberation or High Performance Integrated Circuit Design Center, uh, Sunway, which is another uh, Chinese uh, designer of uh, micro microcomputers, and uh, national the National Supercomputing Center in China. Um, what this really means. Well, frankly, it's, it's going to hurt a little, at least, uh, some of the U.S. entities that have been supplying these centers. So uh, think who, who supplies to supercomputers, companies like you know, NVIDIA and Intel and Mellanox, or as part of NVIDIA now, um, you know, Micron, um, you know, companies like that. You know, the usual suspects are barred from uh, directly dealing with these particular entities. Um, they didn't go quite as far as they could have with this order. They could have actually had uh, what's called, if I can recall correctly, a um, foreign direct product rule enforcement, which would have said that no company anywhere in the world can deal with these uh, without facing U.S. sanctions of their own. That would have been a big, big problem and an international incident because uh, TSMC makes the chips that are used in these centers and in every other device in the known universe. And um, if the U.S. government had said that TSMC can't manufacture chips for them, well, that would have been a problem. Overall, when things like this happen, though, what usually happens is uh, the Chinese government and the Chinese industry uh, being some of the largest and most powerful entities on the globe, um, essentially what this does is just accelerates home production of uh, technology. And frankly, I think in the long term, um, blockading China from getting access to this technology is simply going to further shift uh, the center of gravity for the global tech space to China. So uh, 
it's not going to probably stop them from developing supercomputers and developing weapons and all that sort of thing. Uh, I think it's more of a diplomatic tool than anything. So in other news this week, uh, Tom, uh, we did have an acquisition. Uh, you might not have heard it because it was really at whisper levels. Uh, Microsoft uh, whispered into the ear of a friendly face in the industry, Nuance Communication, and they are purchasing the voice recognition monster for $16 billion, plus some, assuming about $3 billion in debt. That's about a 23% premium over the share price uh, today. Um, their finally, fi uh, primary focus uh, in the market is transcription of doctor's visits and telehealth and so on. Uh, this move is seen uh, as a way to beef up Microsoft's healthcare uh, initiatives and a growth move for Microsoft as well. Uh, what do you think? Is this a new vision for Microsoft or is this just a tactical acquisition for the giant? Well, I think it's kind of funny because the industry is very focused on the telehealth aspects of this acquisition. And rightly, they should be because Microsoft just launched a big push into telehealth care and, and these kinds of things. And there might have been a health thing going on for the last few months. Uh, I don't know. I, I wasn't paying attention. Um, but here's what's more interesting. First and foremost, you're probably thinking to yourself, oh, Nuance Communications. I've heard that name before. Aren't they the ones that did that thing that Apple does that I won't say now because it'll set off all of your speakers in your house? Yes, they did and a whole bunch of other things, but that's not who they are right now. So if you go to the Wikipedia article for Nuance Communications, the first thing that shocked me is that they were actually founded all the way back in 1974, but they have acquired a ton of companies over the years. But what they do is they take bits and pieces out of those companies, they use them to build products and then they sell off what's left. About two years ago, they signed an exclusive deal with Microsoft. And most insiders will tell you that was essentially the, uh, the freemium trial for the acquisition. And one of the things that came out of that was is that Nuance accelerated the sell-off of all of their non-healthcare aligned properties. So now, in essence, what happened was Microsoft made Nuance into the company that it wanted to buy in the first place to focus on this telehealth um, revolution. Now, um, I believe that this is a bug dole seven. Oh, sorry, transcription error. This is a big deal, Stephen, mostly because when you look at the moves that Microsoft has made that don't seem to make sense up front, there's a bigger play behind the scenes that they're looking to integrate this technology. Uh, LinkedIn didn't make a whole lot of sense. And now look at it. They're slowly transforming LinkedIn into business Facebook. Um, the connect that they put on the Xboxes years ago. Oh, oh, it's a camera that just kind of allows me to play games and have fun in the living room. And now look at augmented reality, how big that's become. Uh, there's rumors that they're going to be buying Discord and everyone's like, oh, this will help Xbox and Minecraft. Yeah, you don't think Microsoft Teams could use a little bit of help from Discord since it's the most popular chat application out there? Don't discount anything Satya Nadella is doing. Um, right now, that man's hitting home runs with, off of every pitch that's thrown at him. And I think that that is ultimately where this nuanced story is going to go. I'm actually very interested to see, especially when you consider that they've retired Cortana. So what's next? 
All right, Stephen, um, we're going to go ahead and jump into our focus stories this week because we need to talk about NVIDIA GTC. It was the biggest event going on this week. We had uh, some great keynote news that's coming out. And uh, I think what we really want to start off with is the fact that if you don't notice that NVIDIA is currently the 800-pound silicon gorilla, you're probably underselling things because they are everywhere. They're doing a lot of ARM-based AI chips. They're doing a lot of HPC stuff. But you know where they haven't really been big so far is in the enterprise. Well, that's probably going to change because this year's GTC, they pretty much admitted it out loud that the enterprise is the one market that they've been underserving. And they have renewed a focus on partnerships with companies in the space. Stephen, what did you see from this whenever you were uh, covering the keynote and everything this week? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Uh, indeed, GTC is one of the biggest events in the industry, and NVIDIA has uh, gone from being a uh, you know the the company that made the gaming graphics card to effectively the company that makes almost everything except the CPU, and that only accelerated this year with the acquisition of Mellanox or last year. Uh, when uh, NVIDIA basically became one of the top suppliers of enterprising interconnect technology from, uh, you know, Mellanox is well known for InfiniBand, but uh, they also are probably one of the leading companies in the SmartNIC or DPU field. And this is just a massive, massive company. But as you say, uh, NVIDIA hasn't had as much impact on the enterprise because effectively a lot of these applications that leverage GPUs and DPUs are uh, really just starting to come in into the enterprise market. Uh, many of them were originally deployed in HPC and supercomputers and academia and hyperscalers got on board pretty quick with machine learning. But uh, you know the enterprise is just getting there as we talk about every week on the Utilizing AI podcast and at our AI Field Day event. Um, but the fact that we are talking about it indicates that this really is coming to the enterprise now. A lot of this was accelerated actually with the acquisition of Mellanox because um, although you know, NVIDIA didn't have this background in the enterprise, Mellanox certainly did. And Mellanox has a great number of professionals who really understand enterprise IT and the new world of the hybrid cloud and so on. In other words, not the hyperscalers, not uh, software as a service and platform as a service, but the things that enterprises are doing now. And for me, that's the big trend. And that was the thing that I noticed, well, it was what I was looking for at GTC and I found it. So let's talk about some of these things. And um, I think the key to understanding a lot of this is that uh, somewhere, somehow, deep in the, in the walls of the executive suite at NVIDIA, someone said, you know, the only way we're gonna be able to succeed here is if we partner with all those companies that dominate the enterprise space. And somewhere, uh, someone, maybe Jensen Huang himself said, make it so. And that's what's happened. We have uh, announcements at GTC of partnerships in every direction from NVIDIA. And these partnerships are all engineered to basically put NVIDIA into the enterprise data center in a hundred different places. Now, there's a big asterisk here. I'm going to talk in a few minutes about the one more thing that we saw at GTC, and that's Project Grace and the ARM CPU. So let's take that off the table for a minute. We're going to talk about that in a minute. 
first, let's talk about the ways that NVIDIA is actually impacting the data center today. A couple of years ago, we heard about something called Project Monterey from VMware. Uh, Project Monterey effectively is a way for VMware vSphere to leverage the power of these new offload smart NICs that are emerging. Uh, companies like Pensando, who you've seen at Tech Field Day many times, um, but also, uh, you know, Mellanox with their Bluefield, uh, Intel, uh, Nebulon, a lot of these companies have these offload uh, cards on the market today. And uh, Project Monterey is a way for VMware vSphere to use them. Effectively, you plug in the uh, DPU or SmartNIC and uh, Monterey, you know, you get it up and running and then, and then vSphere just does the thing. It moves uh, data processing of network packet flows to the SmartNIC and takes that off the CPU. As you can imagine, this gives you more memory, more CPU power to do productive things with your, you know, your main processor. And that's really what's going on here with Project Monterey, and that's really explains what the Bluefield is all about. We're going to talk about Bluefield in a little bit more detail here in a second, so I'm going to kind of set that aside. But that's one of the big ways that NVIDIA is partnering with the enterprise. And frankly, that's one thing that NVIDIA is doing really, really well, because vSphere is almost everywhere. It's almost in every enterprise data center. Another big thing we saw was a partnership with Cloudera. Now you might uh, you might know of Cloudera, but uh, here's the the TLDR is that this company dominates big data for on-premises use. You you know there's a lot of darlings and and you know cloud companies and these, these you know oh it's Snowflake this and no uh, Cloudera is where it's at for the enterprise and Nvidia has forged a very big and very important partnership with them to enable data processing for on-prem big data stores. And, and this sounds like a little bit of buzzwords, but truly this is gonna have probably more impact than anything other than the DPUs in Project Monterey, because a lot of enterprises use a lot of Cloudera and a lot of Cloudera is gonna use a lot of Nvidia going forward. Another area that this is, uh, you know, impacting is uh, what's called EGX. So a few years back, NVIDIA introduced DGX, which was their own server. Uh, and, and at that time, all the people were like, oh, NVIDIA is making servers. Well, no, no. NVIDIA is only doing what they need to do in order to have properly specced GPU servers out there. Now that they've done that, they've come up with EGX, which effectively is a spec. And it lets OEMs, uh, people you've heard of like Dell and Lenovo and Supermicro, Super build effectively their own DGX servers. So instead of sourcing like the components and everything from uh, NVIDIA, now they can basically build a fully specced out, fully performant, you know, the, the, the right kind of server to support AI and ML workloads, uh, just like DGX, except it really is, you know, a Dell or a Lenovo. Um, you know, it's a smart way to get into the enterprise, a smart way to get this technology out there. Another thing they've introduced is on the cybersecurity front, they've introduced something called Morpheus. And when I first heard that, I was like, whoa, what are they competing with Fortinet or something here? No, no, no. Their attempt here is basically to create an AI framework that companies like Fortinet can build on in the enterprise. And by the way, Fortinet is another partner working with NVIDIA um, on the DPU space. And, and really here again, you know, you've got a leading enterprise company, a company that the enterprises just, you know, they just eat it up like Cloudera, and now it's running in NVIDIA. All of these things are examples of NVIDIA partnering in ways to get into the enterprise data center. One more thing that they talked about was uh, 
enabling GPUs in the a a Amazon AWS Graviton ARM instances. Uh, that's important too, uh, but it's important in a way, again, that we're gonna talk about here in a couple minutes. What do you think about all this, Tom? I think that NVIDIA has finally realized that you can't make a whole lot of money anymore just selling GPUs to Bitcoin miners. And cloud is gonna be a really hard sell for a while because a lot of folks are not writing portable code. So they need to drive down into the enterprise. I mean, the, the Project Monterey stuff is probably like upfront, really like a big deal. And we're actually gonna talk a little bit about why that is in just a minute. But I love this idea that they're, they're working on all of these other um, initiatives, but they're partnering with people. They're not trying to roll in with, with gorilla arms and say, okay, we're going to take over this market because we're the biggest and the baddest. No, they know that that's the easiest way to get knocked out by, you know, I don't know, backup Godzilla or something. They really need to understand how to innovate at this level. And I think that they are working off of their experience with, with GPU revolutions and also the, the, what they're doing with DPUs where they're really changing the way that, that they can do workload optimization, but they're taking a very cautious approach. And honestly, I think that that is perfect for them because once they get ahead of steam built up, they are absolutely gonna take these markets apart and break them down to component pieces and, and essentially force people to start thinking, okay, do I need to build a big heavy application that uses x86, expensive x86 processor resources, or can I break it down effectively containerizing my application for processor utilization through multiple ARM chipsets? I'm curious to see how the market reacts to this though. Is this something the market really has been clamoring for? Or are they just throwing their hands up in the air and going, this is a solved problem. I don't need to deal with this anymore. Let's just move on to making a slightly faster horse that eats a little less hay. I don't have a good answer. Yeah, you know, it, to, to get a pop culture reference in here, um, you know, are they Kong or are they Godzilla? I don't know, but clearly Intel is the other one. Um, and I'm not sure who Mecha Godzilla is at this point, but but the point is, um, in my opinion, I think you, I think what you're seeing there, Tom, is is right on. Nvidia is trying to get in before everything changes, so that they will become as indispensable a component of the enterprise space as somebody like Intel. So as we mentioned a second ago, the industry is really buzzing about these network offload cards and VMware's Project Monterey. Uh, these things have been called smart NICs, and, and of course, there have been offload engines and network cards for, for decades. But um, these DPUs are promising to bring a lot more data processing than ever before and to keep that out of the CPU, effectively to build a more distributed um, processing of data. NVIDIA recently acquired Mellanox, and the crown jewel of that uh, acquisition wasn't InfiniBand or Ethernet even, it was the Bluefield DPUs that they were working on. Now we have a release version of Bluefield 2 and a tease of the new Bluefield 3 architecture and a promise of a Bluefield 4 even, if you look at the slides. What should we make of all this, Tom? Well, I did a, an in-depth discussion of what DPUs look like on an episode of Conversations late last year, and that was shortly after the release of Project Monterey, where we were seeing, you know, Intel and AMD and companies like Pensando, who were really trying to jump out there and do that. But like you said, the reason why NVIDIA bought Mellanox was for this technology. 
at least in my opinion, but I'm a networking guy. So what can you say? Let's look, you know, just real quick, the specs on Bluefield 2 are pretty impressive when you think about it. They've got eight 64-bit ARM CPU cores running in this thing. It can do 100 gigabits per second of IPsec tunneling. Um, it can do 5 million NVMe IOPS, which I think is a lot because I don't do storage. Steven's nodding his head, so obviously it must be a lot. But that's the thing. This is what's shipping today. This is what they announced. And then everybody looked at that roadmap slide that has, you know, bottom left, top right. Here's the next thing that's coming out early. What I believe it's it's targeted for Q1 next year. And it's going to do 400 gigabits per second. Well, that's a lot of companies are now starting to come out with 400 gigabit optics. We've, we've seen a lot of those presentations at Tech Field Day over the years where they're like, yeah, this is where we're going with the technology. But here's the thing. Think about your daily workload. Think about an interrupt-driven workload, which is horribly inefficient for most people. Uh, you know, I'm working on this blog post and I really need to get it out. And all of a sudden, a 911 emergency comes in and I really need to deal with this email that has to go out to this person or I really need to, to take care of this other thing over here. Well, crap, now I got to get back to my blog post. Where was I? What was I doing? Your brain is a very expensive piece of real estate to be taken up by what effectively are menial tasks when you get right down to it. Um, we can automate some of these away, but there's just some things you can't do. You need somebody else with specific expertise to take care of those problems, a la the DPU. So now, instead of having an expensive CPU sitting there processing I.O. for storage arrays, processing I.O. for network requests, I'm just going to shunt all of that off to the DPU. Now my processor can sit here and do its job, whatever that job happens to be, and the offload card can take care of all of the heavy lifting. And when you think about all of the experience that NVIDIA has in doing this kind of thing, because they've been doing it for years, I mean, AI really wouldn't function as well as it does if, if someone hadn't gone and used NVIDIA's CUDA language to write a bunch of AI-specific programming languages. They're doing it again, except now they're calling it DOCA, which is data center on a chip architecture. So what they're effectively trying to do is they're trying to say, let the CPU and the server do the, the job it's supposed to do and let us worry about offloading all of the I.O. Because effectively, if all the I.O. is headed off the box anyway, it doesn't matter whether it's storage or networking traffic, it's going to go where it needs to go. And that's what they're going to do because it's not just Bluefield. They are also doing X revisions of these chips where they're adding GPU cores in there, kind of like marrying both of them together onto the same die to add even a more additional functionality to it. I would not be off base by saying that effectively what they're doing is they're building a, a powerful uh, application specific computer inside of your computer and once you've gotten people on that train once you've gotten people involved and engaged in that idea when they start building their applications to require the uses of dpus in order to be able to run flat out as fast as they can go nvidia is going to be ha they have a mint at that point because when you're one of the only three or four people in the world that can provide dpus that are fast enough to keep up with modern applications everybody's going to want to come knocking on your door. Now, Stephen, you looked at the Mellanox acquisition and the NVIDIA DPU things from the storage side as well. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, and I have to say, um, you know, this is something that's been a long time coming. As I said, there have been offload engines in uh, NICs for a long time, specifically for storage processing. Uh, I have to say that uh, this is one area where the needs of storage networking have actually gone out ahead of the needs of a lot of the uh, sort of general purpose data networking space. But uh, it's important to understand that a DPU or a smart NIC 
from uh, you know a company like Pensando or Mellanox. These things are not your father's smart neck or your father's offload engine. These things are powerful. And the thing that you need to understand is that they include a full computer, a full CPU on the card itself. So for example, with the Bluefield uh, DPUs, you know, yes, yes, it's a 200 or 400 gigabit ethernet adapter, but it's also a full-on high performance, you know, uh, CPU powerhouse. And so when Project Monterey is offloading tasks to it, it's not just shunting off like simple processing. It's off, it's actually running like, like ESX on the card and running virtual machines and containers on the card, on the CPUs on the card. And those are intercepting data and processing data um, you know, remotely. So really it's almost like a, uh, an asymmetric cluster. So you have the CPU, which is the, the, the big mama gorilla. And then you've got the DPUs, which are sort of all the little baby gorillas on the side, you know, doing their tasks. And I think that that's the important thing to understand here is we've seen an evolution of this technology from simple processing, you know, TCP offload engines to really advanced processing and even general purpose computing. Frankly, if you've got a Bluefield card, you can run anything on it. That actually sets off some security alarm bells too, but, but you could run like, uh, you know, you can run Linux on that. You could run a web server on it. You could run anything you want on that SmartNIC. And there are some of these things that even have FPGAs on them. So Intel kind of has two SmartNICs. They've got one that actually has a Xeon D processor. Yeah, a Xeon on a network card. And they've got another one that actually has a, an FPGA. So you can basically program it to do anything. Uh, hey, Bitcoin mining on the NIC. Um, but the problem is, um, you know, it, it, the, all this has been sort of technology in search of a problem. And that's why I think Project Monterey is the key. And that's why I get excited about this stuff. Because finally, we might be able to actually make use of this. And I think that that actually is the, the important thing to know or the important thing to look at here is that, you know, NVIDIA is seeing these DPUs as a way to get into the data center. And I think that this leads us here, actually, uh, in a way, to our next story. So, Tom, there was one more thing. You're right. There is one more thing. And it's been a while since we've heard that phrase, and we all kind of know what that means. But they wrapped up GTC with this announcement that everyone's buzzing about, along with the familiar GPUs that we all know NVIDIA for and the DPUs that we just uh, have been talking about. They announced a new ARM CPU called Grace. Now, pundits are saying that this is absolutely their direct shot across the bow to Intel and AMD. But Stephen, is that really what's going on here? See, I think the pundits have this completely wrong. And, and I think it's obvious on the face of it if you just look at it and look at the technology. And it's also obvious if you talk to NVIDIA, which I did. I actually, you know, immediately reached out to my contacts at NVIDIA and I said, you know, okay, we need to set up a, a talk on this, a great in-depth talk with, uh, you know, one of the senior folks at NVIDIA that's working on this Project Grace card. And he reiterated uh, for me that effectively the messaging you're hearing is totally wrong. Project Grace is not, not, not NVIDIA taking the ARM acquisition and running with it to compete with AMD and Intel in the CPU space. That's not what it is. Put it out of your minds. Instead, think about what we just talked about. What did we just talk about? We talked about DPUs and we talked about putting CPUs 
and FPGAs uh, on NICs as a way to offload data processing from the CPU complex, free that up to do the, the real work and have a lot of this you know, flow processing over there. That's what Project Grace is. Okay, so, 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 so think in your mind, you know, what, is, what is a DPU? A DPU is a, a high performance NIC with a full CPU on it. What is Project Grace? Project Grace is a GPU with a full CPU on it. It's the same thing. And it works the same too. It's even right there in the name. It's named after Grace Hopper. And Grace Hopper, the thing that it's named after, she was famous for her latency dis, you know, description. She was you know, saying like, you know, how long is a microsecond, right? Um, that's what this is all about. This is all about reducing latency in AI and ML processing. Effectively, uh, PCI Express is fast and low latency, but it's, not, it's an order of magnitude too slow for uh, processing huge complex machine learning models. In order to get uh, a truly massive ML model out there and processing at full speed, you need to have plenty of memory, but most importantly, plenty of bandwidth between a CPU and GPU complex. That's Project Grace. Project Grace effectively is a high performance ARM core with an NVLink native on the CPU so that it can join the GPU complex, the GPU fabric that already exists and process massive amounts of data right there on the board. This is not a server, this is an ML processing rig. And actually there's precedent for this. This is the same architecture as the Summit and Sierra supercomputers that were, oh, surprise, surprise, featuring NVIDIA and Mellanox technology. In other words, they took this architecture from these HPC supercomputers and they've basically put it on a card and that's cool. That's super cool. That's way cooler than saying NVIDIA is gonna take on Intel Xeon. That's not the story. The story is that NVIDIA is basically, they've created a new thing. I mean, if the word GPU wasn't already taken, we might call it that. Effectively, it's a, it's a GPU DPU. It's a, it's a GPU that does a special task. And, and frankly, that's cool. And, and it's cool enough on its own. <laughs> and, and yeah, in the future, will NVIDIA challenge Intel Xeon and, and AMD Epic and server CPUs? Maybe, but this certainly wasn't that announcement. Yeah, I think it's funny that you bring that up because everybody wants NVIDIA to take on the industry titans. They want NVIDIA to be that third option and that's not what NVIDIA wants, because let's be fair, you can be the 800 pound gorilla of the thing you're really good at. And when you wake in Godzilla, as we said earlier, you're gonna be in trouble because they will bring all of their forces to bear on you when they don't think they're punching down anymore. But I think you're right. I think that this just continues that tradition of NVIDIA creating solid add-in equipment for very specific workloads. They don't want to be the primary PC chip. They don't need to be the primary CPU. Why? Well, when you take all the functions away from the primary CPU, what good is it anymore? I mean, look at, look at a modern networking switch. What does all the heavy lifting? Is it the CPU in the center of the switch or is it the ASICs at the edge that are doing all the packet forwarding? Does it really matter? 
you have to have both. If you don't have both, you don't have a switch. So I think you're right. I think that making this into a headline grabbing Intel, AMD, NVIDIA three-way standoff is not what's going to end up happening. So stay tuned for more because I think that once the once it all comes out in the wash, you're going to find that NVIDIA is in a much better position than most people realize. All right. Well, that will just about do it for this episode of The Rundown. I want to thank everyone out there for tuning in. Uh, you know, we got great news. We got great expert analysis that you only get here on the Gestalt IT Rundown and from all of the great people that are part of our Gestalt IT network. Stephen, um, it's a busy couple of weeks for us. What have you got going on coming up that people are definitely going to want to pay attention to? Well, first thing off, uh, I'm going to be doing a checksum editorial focused on NVIDIA Grace here at gestaltit.com in the next couple of days. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, there will be a, a bit more explanation into what Grace truly is and the context for it and how it works. And uh, I can't wait to share that with you. Uh, next week, I'm actually hosting our Tech Field Day event, Tech Field Day 23. And so we are really excited to, uh, to bring you another of, uh, this is the generalist event where we talk about everything from servers to storage to networking and, um, and everything in between. And this event actually features some companies that are related to the stories that you've heard today. So we're talking, for example, to Micron who are um, very involved in the SmartNIC revolution or the DPU revolution, along with Xilinx, who's also very involved in that. And I think that you probably will get more um, understanding of this, the more information you take in from a variety of sources. So I would definitely recommend tuning in for Tech Field Day 23 next Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Also, uh, if you go to techfieldday.com, you can look up uh, presentations from Intel on their SmartNICs and or DPUs. You can look at presentations from Pensando and from uh, you know many of the other companies that we're talking about here, and and get a real insight into this, including the announcement of Project Monterey, which was one of the top Tech Field Day videos from 2019. So definitely, or 2020. So definitely uh, do uh, take a look at that. All right. I know you're you're really busy, Stephen. I'm uh, finishing up Tech Field Day exclusive at Cisco Live Global 2021. Uh, uh, we've got a great lineup of delegates and uh, talking about some of the networking things that are driving the need for DPUs and, and how much traffic we're seeing and things like that. And then we also have some upcoming events that you're definitely going to want to pay attention to. So make sure you head over to techbuilday.com and, and see that. But also make sure you check out gestaltit.com. We have great editorial articles like conversations that I mentioned and uh, check some that Stephen mentioned. We've got uh, event uh, coverage posts. We've got uh, in-depth discussions and articles from a lot of great companies all over the, the tech community. So make sure you, you have an opportunity to look at those. And then also don't forget to uh, set your calendars to tune in for the Gestalt IT Rundown every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern time. That'll just about do it for Stephen and I. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Gestalt IT, um, or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Gestalt IT video. Uh, that way you'll be notified whenever we post a new video, whether it's an episode of the Rundown, check some conversations or Stephen unboxing a keyboard. Uh, but for now, for Tom Hollingsworth and Stephen Foskett, we want to thank you all for tuning in, and we hope to see you back here again next week.